Today we are going to look at the book of Nahum. One of, of the minor prophets. Minor prophets are these smaller books of the Bible. And all the 12 minor prophets are bundled together in one scroll in the Hebrew canon. And the book opens with this, this title in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In Oracle Concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Now this is unique in a sense because this is a double title. It says, An Oracle Concerning Nineveh. And secondly, it says it's a book of vision. It's a book of vision. So it's both oracle and a vision. I'll talk about that in a, in a minute later. And the book is, is attributed to a man called or a person called Nahum of Elkosh. Nahum, we don't know whether it was a real name of the prophet or not, but Nahum means comfort. We don't know the, we don't know anything about the life of this man called Nahum, nor we know the exact location of Elkosh. But circumstantial evidence is such that we can assume that it is in, it was in Judah. The date of this book should be between 664 and 612. There are one or two reasons for that. The main reason is that it talks about in chapter 3 verse 8. It talks about the fall of Thebes. Thebes was a Egyptian city, one of the prominent cities of Egypt, which was sacked by Assyrian king called Ashur Benibal in 644. So, in chapter 3 verse 8 says, Are you better than thieves that sat by the Nile with water around and her ramparts a sea and water and water her wall? And it talks about the destruction of thieves. We will see that part in detail in a minute. But sufficient to say that this prophet knew the fall of Thebes in 664. So it must be after 664. And since Nineveh was destroyed in 612 BC by the Babylonians, it should be before that. So that is that, that is why we say this book, the date of this book, is between something somewhere between 664 and 612. The theme is simple. The concern, the main topic of discussion or uh, the, the concern here is very simple. That is, Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, will be destroyed. It will not be forever. It's very similar to the book of Obadiah. We did it a few weeks back. The book of Obadiah is a prophecy against Edom, but much from a later period. That is, after the 6th century BC. 
because it was uh, it it uh, the book of Obadiah says that the uh, the city of or the kingdom of Edom will be destroyed by God punished by God for their sins against the people of Judah. Another important feature of this book is that this is a sequel to the book of Jonah. No, we just which we did last week. Last week we saw that in the last study on the book of Jonah, we saw that Jonah prophesied in the first half of the 8th century BC. But that period, whoever the king of Assyria, uh, Nineveh was at that time, Assyria and Nineveh at that time, they repented. And that was a time of uh, when, when Assyria was not a very big power. But the things changed. World politics take a, took a twist in the second half of the 8th century when the Assyrian ruler Tiglath-Pileser III who reigned from 745 to 728 he came to the throne in Nineveh in Assyria Nineveh is the capital of Assyrian Empire and he became very aggressive and an expansionist so his period and the following few decades were until 612, you can say 640 something, Assyria was the dominant power. So as we saw, the prophecy of Nahum is dated in the 7th century. That is when Assyria was a strong world power. They had dominated, Assyrians had dominated the Fertile Crescent till the end death of Ashur Benival around 628. In that sense, the book of Nahum is a sequel, sequel to the book of Jonah where the people repented but later for a century after that repentance they remained aggressive, very cruel expansionist and conquered and persecuted, oppressed most of the smaller kingdoms in the Levant or the Fertile Crescent. Now, I am not going to rehearse the history that we know. When we looked at the 8th century prophets and later Jeremiah and Hezekiel coming from a later period, especially the book of the, the 8th century prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah and uh, Amos, Micah and Hosea. We saw that we know, we studied that during the period, during the, till the end of 8th century, that the Assyrians were creating problems, you know, in 700 for the people of Israel that is northern Israel and southern kingdom of Judah because in 712-22 they destroyed, they, they captured northern Israel and devastated its capital Samaria and in 735 they were, they were assaulting uh, many 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 assaults on northern Israel and Judah and in Judah in 735, around 735 King Ahaz became, even his father was, but he became literally 
uh, dependent of Assyria. And in 701, we know Sennacherib campaigned when Hezekiah was king. So, the during the days of uh, Nahum, the people were under the hegemony of Assyria. And so the book talks about how the Assyrians assaulted the people of Israel and also Judah. But the crux of the book is that God is going to, uh, to bring the Assyrians to judgment for all the cruelty they did, for, doing the, for uh, the cruelty against their, his people and other nations as well. Now having said that, let us move on to the book and try to look at most of the important verses, topic by topic. Introduction. That is the first part. That is verse 1. I already read that. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. So I already mentioned it's a double introduction. It's an oracle and it's a vision. The oracle has to do with the content. What is this? What is the content? The content is something that the prophet declares, prophecies. So that is why it is called an oracle. And then it's also described as a vision. Vision has to do with how it was received. That is, it came as a vision from God. The destruction of Nineveh. Now, there are various parts. The first part, I would say, is a psalm of descriptive praise. It praises God. So, in the first seven verses after the title, the, psalm, the, the, the prophet, the book of Nahum, praises God. You might have read these verses, so I am not going to repeat every all the seven verses. And he is a God in this psalm. There are many, many, many things he talks about. It praises God for. A descriptive praise is a narrative of God, who God is, his attributes, etc. So please read that carefully. There's a lot of things that you can praise God for. Let me read two verses from that. That is chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It talks about God's character. God's character is that He's a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anchor. Please note that. See verse 2 and it contrasts God. God's nature is God is a God who will avenge, who is jealous, who will take vengeance on his adversaries. But that is not the main character of God. God is slow to anchor and great in power, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. See, the, the, the various characteristics, sometimes it seems to be contradictory. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So it actually is a, these two verses, like the rest of it, is about the majesty of God, the character of God. God cannot tolerate. Simply, it is simple as that. 
though God is a good God, though God is a kind God, though God is a God of mercy, he still cannot tolerate wickedness. That's what Nahum declares before then based on that based on this understanding of god he elaborates on how this principle or this character character of god will make him punish will push him or i can say to punish the people of nineveh who the the capital of assyria who did extreme cruelty and the next part of this book is chapter 1 verses 3 to 6 it talks about god's rule over the creation it's again a sort of a hymn that god controls the creation the the nature the world that he created i'm not going to read that i hope you might have read it and verse 7 talks about the goodness of god the lord is good it repeats what he already said in verses 2 to 3 but much more specific here the lord is good i'm reading chapter 1 verse 7 a stronghold in the day of trouble he knows those who take refuge in him and that's the comfort of the people of god and then in the next verse nahum says how will he comfort his people by destroying his adversaries verse 8 but but though god is good with an ever flow overflowing flood he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into the darkness so we have to conclude from these two verses one important theological truth that judgment or punishing evil is not a bad thing but it's requisite it's an essential part of the goodness of god punishing wickedness is not a bad thing punishing wickedness and evil in this world is the essential part of the goodness of god we have to see all that in that sense okay i when i come to the conclusion i will repeat what i said now in a slightly different way and next section i would say is major section or a unit is chapter 1 verses 9 to 15 it's in the form of a direct address to nineveh the city that god is going to punish Verse 9 What do you plot against the Lord he will make a complete end trouble will not rise up a second time that means god is ninevites are against god the lord yahweh but they god wants them that god is going to deal with them that they will never ever rise up as a prominent force but in the same in after that addressing addressing um, in addressing the uh, ninevites 
and the, uh, there is also Nineveh that God will deal with them thoroughly that he will never raise their head again but there's a comfort for Judah as well then in verses 12 to 15 God comforts so please read that but somehow God says that the might of Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the mightiest cities. Now, some of the artifacts of the temple, the, the palace, the artifacts from the palace of Ashurbanipal is on display in the British Museum. It is all over the world. Now, if you see that, that, that gallery itself and the amount of the, the sort of things that they could transport in a ship, other things are left there. You know, buildings and other things. Now, you can see the splendor of Nineveh, the power of Nineveh. But God says, the might of Nineveh will not deter the Lord from destroying it. In verse 12, God makes that very clear. Chapter 1, verse 12. Thus says the Lord, though they are full of strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. The first part is a is a warning, it's a threat to Assyrians. But the second line of verse 12 is a comfort for Judah. Though I have afflicted you, that is the Judah, God used Assyrians as a rod of his anchor. But now God says, I will afflict you no more, the people of Judah. Verse 13, he says, he'll bring an end to the yoke of Assyria. He'll break the yoke of Assyria over Israel, over Judah. And now I will break his yoke from, from off you and I'll burst your bones asunder, bones apart. And then this unit of comfort calls the people to celebrate. In verse 15, Probably this is one of the verses that is quoted, the, maybe the only verse, the verse that is uh, usually quoted from the book of Nahum, verses 15 of chapter 1. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah, fulfill your woes forever, never again shall the worthless pass through it, he is utterly cut off. And this is the good news. The good news here is the good news of the fall of Nineveh. So that people of Judah are free of the bondage of Assyria and they can celebrate their freedom. Now, this was actually very similar to Isaiah chapter 52-7, which also celebrates a similar moment. That moment is the release of the exiles. But while, that is Isaiah 52, 7, let me read that first. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So that actually is from a different period. But you can see that in both periods, the mood God gives the people, God gives his people moments of 
great joy. One, the fall of Nineveh. The second is the release of the people in Babylon. Now, chapter 2 is entirely a description of the fall of Nineveh. So I'm not going to into the details of that because the details are not very important now. Anyone can read and understand if, if, you, if they know that it's a description of the fall of Nineveh. But one important feature I should point out that the book of the book of this book, book of Nahum was written before the fall. It was not after the fall of Nineveh. It is before the fall of Nineveh. But this prediction, so it is a prediction. It is written as if it is an eyewitness account. As if the prophet was there on the scene when Nineveh fell. But it's a, it's a prediction only. He is predicting the fall, but he reports as if it happened. That's the faith angle. The faith angle that Yes, that, that is why it is re reported in the perfect tense. This prediction talks about, he is so sure, though he is prophesying in the future, uh, in the fu some, uh, something to happen in the future, he is so sure it will happen that he describes it as if it has already happened. That is a dimension of prophetic faith. The prediction talks about the attack, the overtaking and the raid by the enemy. Just one verse I would like to read. To give you a feel of this. That is Nahum chapter 2 1. He's, the scatterer has come up against you. Against Nineveh. Man the ramparts. Wash the road. Dress for battle. Collect all your strength. He says because all these are useless. If However you ram, uh, man the ramparts. Put the people on the ramparts. You watch the road, dress for the battle, collect all your strength and go for battle. This is a battle that you are going to lose. So, there are words of assurance for Judah. In verse 2, immediately after this verse, it says, The Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. So, because Assyrians have weakened them. You know, I, you know, in the earlier studies, I mentioned that uh, Sennacherib in his campaign to south in 701, you know, he sacked 40 plus cities in the kingdom of Judah and laid siege to Jerusalem, the city of God. So God is going to restore the majesty of Jacob. Under Assyria, during Assyrian period, the, the Jacob means Judah. Judah was very a very very weak weak state, but God is going to restore it. So, in the uh, uh, Nahum uses very vivid imageries to describe the woe of the defeated city, its people, and the plunder that takes place. In verse eight, for example. In verse, verse 8, he compares Nineveh, likens Nineveh to a leaking dam. You know, when a water dam, water reservoir, when the dam is broken, you know, because of gravity, all the water it held, 
will leak, flow down. So he describes the people leaving the city as fugitives. When Nineveh is attacked, people are scattered, people run thither, hither, everywhere as fugitives or as prisoners. Verse 8 says, Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. Halt, halt, they cry. They are asking, they are, they, the people are crying, shouting, saying, plug the holes, plug the breaches. But none turns back. Everybody runs, turns, no, but none turns back. Though people are asking them to stop running away from the city, people run in big numbers away from the falling, the city that is fallen. The last verse of this section, verse 13, sums up the Lord's indignation against Nineveh. Verse 13, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots, chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young alliance. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. Now, chapter 3, that is the 19 verses of chapter 3, is the repeat, actually, of the destruction of Nineveh. Nothing much new is here. And the reason for the punishment is repeated. The reason for their punishment is their cruelty. Verse 1, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The city has, like Babylon the Great in the book of Revelation, has drunk so much blood of the innocents. They are full of lies and plunder. And they have prey in the sense victims. Many have fallen victims to their cruelty. That's why they will be destroyed judged and destroyed by God. And there we also in this chapter you can also see descriptions of the enemy attack. Everywhere you can see these descriptions. I will read you one, just one, one, one description in verse 3 of chapter 3. Horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, Dead bodies without hand, they stumble over the bodies. You know, I don't have to explain that. Now, this is the battle scene. You might have seen similar pictures. You can, uh, you can, um, in action films, you might have seen similar things. The war battles, the people falling, people killed, bleeding, and uh, the flashing arrows, and uh, all that thing. So now captures this. He gives us a picture of how, though he lived at least 60 years before all this happened. That is why it is called a vision from God. Moreover, the punishment is that God will humble Nineveh before other nations, whom she humbled, you know, how the arrogant words of Sennacherib are recorded in the book of Isaiah and 2 Kings. 
we have read that in the in the previous classes on when we were discussing the book of isaiah now the arrogant words words but now they 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 were they were arrogant about their own strength military might but now god is going to humble them in a very when a very 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 uh, humiliating way in verse 5 of chapter 3 it says behold i am against you declare the lord of hosts and i lift up your skirts over your face and i'll make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame that's the way the glory of Nineveh will be paraded before the humiliation will be paraded before other nations now in chapter 3 8 to 11 there's a comparison with thebes thebes was one of the most important city of egypt it was sacked by ashur benibal the assyrian king in 664 bc so i mentioned that matter before when we were discussing the dating and um, thebes had many neighboring nations to support it probably there was an alliance of the southern egyptian kingdoms or surrounding kingdoms but still in spite of thebes glory in spite of the help she got from her neighbors still she went into exile she was completely sacked by asurbanipal kush was was 9 to 10 chapter 3 9 to 10 kush was her strength egypt too that without limit put and the libyans were her helpers so kush was a southern uh, kingdom people and which is roughly identified with present ethiopia and eritrea and kush from the south put we don't know and libyans we know it's a northern african kingdom or that area so it she had support from south and north including egypt but still she could not withstand she could not withstand the enemies of the ashur benibal the assyrian kingdom so what nahum says is that is to see actually the paradox is that it is the it is the the people of the assyrians who sacked attacked and conquered then uh, thebes now nahum says thebes with its all its might and the help she had from her neighboring countries could not withstand the assyrian attack you the assyrian kingdom will not be able to withstand when god sends armies against you despite all the help thebes fell to assyrians so similarly with all the power you will also be destroyed that's the warning now with that we come to the end of our study of the book of nahum but what's the point what do we see in the book of nahum is there a moral story what does this have is moral something to take home yes it is see the the book itself means nahum means comfort so where is the comfort in this 
That's the question that we should ask. The comfort is in the fact that wickedness in whatever form it comes against God's people will not last eternally. So here is a message for God's people who suffer oppression and persecution from the wicked. The wickedness will not last long. It is will God will deal with the wicked and God will save his righteous. So that is what the word, see, the book of, uh, see, we saw many passages, at least three places where there is words of assurance and comfort to Judah, who is now, when at the moment when Nahum is prophesying, is actually cracking under the weight of the Assyrians from the days of Tiglath Pileser, who is called Pul, P-U-L in the Bible, many parts of the Bible. So, the Tiglath Pileser, the, the oppression or the hegemony of Assyria, and when Nahum was prophesying, Judah was under the weight of that oppression. So he brings comfort to God's people, saying that this is not going to be forever. This is, this is going to end because God is going to judge the people who are treating you very cruelly. So imagine a 7th century BC Judah, a farmer or a person or a laborer who has to pay heavy tax to pay as tribute to Assyria. Now, hearing these words of Nahum, now some verses that I read earlier, the comfort, I will, sorry, uh, verses uh, for, uh, verses, um, well, I mean, just one verse that I would like to read, that is verse 7, verse, sorry, verse 15 of chapter 1. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, good news of the fall of Nineveh. That means people in Judah will celebrate. They are comforted by this word that their enemy is no more. Now, reflecting on current scenario in our, in our world, in our country, sometimes I, like Habakkuk, ask, Oh Lord, how long? But one thing recently that comforted me is the fact that all this wickedness, all these lies, all this injustice is perpetuated by human beings, but not by eternal God. The God who is eternal, who sees the end from the beginning, has a plan. The most wicked, most des uh, uh, cruel despot will not last longer than his last breath. That's a comfort. That's a comfort that the book of Nahum brings to us. Wickedness will not reign forever, but the righteous and just God, he rules the world. Amen.